We're reading today from Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Many of you are familiar with the British passenger liner that traversed the North Atlantic in the early 1900s uh, from Southampton, England, to New York City on its maiden voyage, the unsinkable Titanic. This journey ended in the Titanic colliding with an iceberg, killing most of the people on it, and was one of the greatest maritime disasters in modern history. At the time of the journey, it was the largest ship afloat in the world, and the captain of the ship, which was Leonardo DiCaprio, um, (laughs) that's what I thought as a teenager growing up in the, the 90s. The captain of the ship, Thomas Andrews, also went down with the ship. One of the fascinating things about the tragedy is when you look at the numbers. So there's just over 2,200 passengers aboard the Titanic. Of those 2,200, there were only around 700 survivors. So 1,500 went down with the ship. Now, one of the interesting things, historical reports say that there were 328 people at the time that the ship was sinking that were swimming for their lives in the frigid waters of the North Atlantic. About 328 people. And there were about 20 lifeboats that were mobilized to help with the rescue. There's an artist's rendering of this. Kind of gives you an example of what the scene would have been like. There was these 20 lifeboats panicking, trying to, trying to scoop up these passengers, and really interesting facts. So of these 328 people, there were only actually six of them that were rescued. So of the 20 lifeboats, there was only one lifeboat, and one, one person, that, whoever was driving that lifeboat, that, that turned around and went back and helped to save some of these drowning victims, soon-to-be victims. So only six of those 328 people were rescued and their lives were saved. So, if you do the math, there were 322 people that died that day in April of 1912, not because the Titanic sank, but because the other 19 lifeboats didn't turn around and go back and help them. And what, what an analogy for us in our salvation in Christ. Crew and, and the organization that, that we'll be sharing about today, who I work for, who some of the students that are involved, really, we, we strive to capture that heart for the lost. The, the main vision of Crew 
is to help turn lost students into Christ-centered laborers. And if you're on IU's campus, I know some of you work there and our students there, you know that it's a very dark place spiritually. Surveys show about 75% of young people leave the church after high school, partially because, of athe- because atheism is religiously promoted in college and culture. As well, college professors are five times more likely to be atheists than the general public, and more than half of professors in college have an unfavorable view of evangelical students. Another thing you may or may not be familiar with, so back in November, the fraternity system here at IU was put on a suspension for um, what I've heard to be about 75 open cases of sexual assault, drinking and drug use, and and other allegations. Uh, They were put on a four-month suspension as a result, Uh, and it's heartbreaking. Uh, But that's our heart with CREW, is to help turn law students into Christ-centered laborers by winning them to Christ by building them in their faith and then sending them into the world as Christ-centered laborers. So I want to suggest to you that, that the verse that was read this morning about the Great Commission, we've all kind of heard the Great Commission. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. But a lot of times we look at that verse as an isolated verse, kind of in a pocket at the end of all the Gospels. There's a different form of the Great Commission at the end of each of the Gospels. But I want to suggest to you this morning that there is a greater kind of meta-narrative that Scripture tells us when we look at the larger Scripture. So when we look here, what God said in, in Genesis 1.28, the first command, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth, and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So I think God was was right there in the very beginning envisioning a people, not a people, many people groups of, of all nations that he had instructed to go and rule and subdue the earth and fill the earth. Genesis 12. So fast-forwarding a little bit in history, the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So this is God's instruction to the patriarch Abraham. All nations on earth will be blessed through you. And now we know, because we can look backward in history, that the, the nation that, that God would raise up through Abram was Israel, and that through Israel, Jesus Christ himself would come and would be a blessing to all nations. So we have in 1 Kings 4, from all, this is Solomon's wisdom, from all nations people came to listen to Solomon's wisdom sent by all the kings who had, had heard of his wisdom. So again, God's desire is for people of, of all nations, of all people groups, to hear about his glory, about his greatness. Again, Isaiah 49.6, he says, It's too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I've kept. I will also make you a light to the Gentiles that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. This is written around 700 years before Christ. And, and God said, It's too small a thing to just redeem Israel. I will make you a light into the Gentiles that my salvation will reach the ends of the earth. Okay, then we come to our passage uh, that was read this uh, Matthew 28. So, so now we have kind of in context 
Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go and make disciples of all nations. So now we have a great commission that we don't just see as an isolated verse, but okay, this has been God's idea the whole time. God desired for people of, of all nations, people groups of all over the world, to come and to hear about his glory. We have in Revelation 7, we have the end, the end, futuristically even today. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could count, from every nation, all tribes, people, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, and palm branches were in their hands, and they cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God who sits in the throne. So we have people of every nation, every tribe, every tongue, standing before the throne. So we know this is going to happen in the future. The Word of God promises that. And, and, and again, God has been telling us a story through all of Scripture that there's this meta-narrative that people of all nations hearing His glory is God's lar- large desire um, through all mankind. So Matthew 24, 14 says this, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So if you think about this verse, the gospel being preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. This verse gives me excitement, thinking, man, when, when the gospel makes it to, to the whole world, and, and there are great efforts occurring uh, worldwide with YWAM and the IMB and crew and, and tons of churches and organizations that are collaborating together to take the gospel, and Wycliffe Bible translators, and then the end will come, the Word says. So this, this kind of begs the question, well, how are we doing? What is the state of affairs in the world? How are we doing it? Get the, getting the gospel out to all nations. So how close are we to seeing Matthew twenty four fourteen fulfilled? What work remains? So if you look, there, there is approximately 7,000 languages spoken in the world. And right now, here's how it breaks up. A third of, of the world's languages, Scripture needs are met. So in other words, maybe around... Uh, a little over 2,200, 2,300 languages in the world have a viable and readable copy of the Scriptures. A third of translation work has begun by Wycliffe and other ministries like it. And then there's a third of the languages where no one's even working on the translation yet. So 2,000 languages, which represents about 340 million people without any Scripture in their own language. So that, the, the task is still there. There's still work to do. So you can also break up the world, not just in languages, but in people groups. And that's what, G- when Jesus was saying, go and make disciples of all nations, he wasn't speaking of the 200 and some nations recognized by the United Nations, but of people groups. And in the world, there's about 12,000 ethno-linguistic groups. So, and, and these, these numbers are about five to seven years old from what I, what I remember. There's 6,000, about half of those uh, people groups that are reached. Or in other words, there's at least 2% of the population that are evangelical Christians. 3,000 of those people groups are engaged by full-time missionaries, um, and there, there's an attempt to be made to share the gospel, to plant churches, and then there's another 3,000 that are unengaged and unreached. So again, there's still, still work to be done. So at IU Crew, um, our heart, again, is to advance the, and to obey the Great Commission, uh, literally to make disciples, to invest in people who will invest in people who will invest in people. And we, we get that from Christ and what He said before He ascended into heaven. And how we do that is we literally invest in students spiritually. We care for them. We, we get in the Word with them. And then we 
spread the gospel with them and teach them how to share their faith with their classmates or the students in their organizations. So kind of a a neat and practical way that we just got to be a part of this was in March. Crew took a group of students, this group right here, to Houston to do Hurricane Harvey relief work. We took a trip in October as well, just for fall break, but a little bit longer of a trip in, in March. And while we were there, we did a lot of hands-on building and and repainting and and reconstruction of of destroyed homes. But one of the organizations that we partnered with was an organization called Rebuild South Texas. And they had set up shop about 40 minutes outside of Houston um, in this small town called Little Cambodia. And so Little Cambodia, far kind of far-reaching suburb of Houston... It is the second largest population of Cambodians in the world. So the Cambodians came over decades ago, and they picked this place because of the climate and just some of the conditions that were good for their crop, which was this Asian spinach that they grew. And so they would grow it in their backyards in these big greenhouse-type structures. And they lived in these pretty shabby mobile homes. And so when Harvey hit... Not only did their homes get destroyed, which weren't that fortified to begin with, but their livelihood, their crops were washed away. So it was a very hard-hit area, and so Crew had a partnership with, like I said, Rebuild South Texas. So Rebuild South Texas is an organization that consists of, of skilled construction workers, Christian construction workers, that would be foremen on job sites. And so here's one of the sites we're building on. We were building a house for this uh, husband and wife, Pang and Kim, Cambo- they're, and they're this Cambodian couple. So that particular day, we were framing the walls. We had just gotten the walls up. The, and I actually, um, right before this, I hadn't met them yet, even though we'd been working there for a day. But the, the job site was a little crowded, so we went down on the side, and we're picking up nails, picking up trash. And Kim came out. And again, I hadn't, we, I hadn't, no one had met the homeowners, which we wanted to, because we wanted to have that relationship and pray for them. And so I approached her with my, one of the guys I'm discipling, Edgar, there on the right, and just said, hey, you know, inter- we want to introduce ourselves, want to hear what it was like for you going through the flood. And she told us for like a half hour or so just what it was like, and her English was, per- was fairly broken. But on one side of Little Cambodia, when you came into town from this direction, there was a Buddhist temple. On the other side, if you approach it from the other way, there was a Christian church. And so I asked her, hey, so what is your religious background? Is it, you know, Buddhism? And Kim said, yeah, yeah, we are, our parents are Buddhists, and so we have been attending services at the Buddhist temple, but we've recently been going to the Christian church on the other side of town. I said, oh, really? And I said, so while you were there, did you get an idea of kind of, of the main message of Christianity? And she said, ah, not really. My language is only so-so, and uh, it was in English. And I said, well, man, I am so passionate about the gospel, and I would love to take just a minute and share the gospel with you, just so you know what this church believes. She goes, I would love that. And so, again, her English was kind of broken, but I started off talking to her about God the Creator. I mean, she didn't understand the word creator, but she understood the word maker and went on and talked about sin, and, and she didn't really understand the, the word sin. So at that point, Edgar, this is the great thing about having a younger generation, he pulled out Google Translate, and so he would start, uh, he would start pulling up the words that, that we would need to convey to her to help her understand the gospel message. So after about an hour, 
we explain the gospel, the gospel message that God loves her, created her for a relationship, that her sin had separated her, but that Jesus Christ, we said Jesus will wash your sins away in a good way. Um, uh, in a good way. Um, if, you, if you give your life to Him, and if you transfer your trust to Him, He will take your sins away. And she said, I, I want that. And I, I was kind of surprised. It usually isn't quite that quick, but I just asked her, so why do you want that, Kim? And she goes, you know, I, I believe it. She said, I, I've come here. She said, look, look at this, and pointed to her house. And I explained to her, I said, you know, we would be here and building this house, even if you didn't accept Christ. You know that, right? And, and, and again, the Google Translate, you know, that was really the key there. But, um, but she said, there is one thing I want to do. Can you, I want to send for my husband. And so we, we, we called him over. He was up on the job site hammering some nails and stuff and brought him back down. And she spoke Cambodian to him and said, hey, I, I, want, to, I want to accept Christ, is what I presume that she said. And he shook his head, and I, and I said, Kim, would you be willing for me to share with your husband exactly what we just shared with you, the good news of, of uh, Jesus Christ? And she goes, sure, sure, sure. And what took me about an hour took her about four minutes. Um, and um, so it was good. Um, and so then when he said, yes, I want this too, he brought up, Pang is his name, he brought up a story about how there was a civil war in Cambodia, and there was these camps of refuge where he was able to be taken in by a Christian minister when he was just a little guy. And he said, I, I saw Christ then. I've, I've known about him for, for decades, and I've come over here, and I hear the gospel, and I've seen the gospel lived out, and I want this too. And so we said, man, we, this, this would be such an honor to us to be able to walk across the threshold with you. So we uh, joined hands. I don't think I brought the picture, but uh, we joined hands, and it, I said, now, when you, when you pray to receive Christ, I want you to do it in your language, not ours, because God knows that he's more concerned about the attitude of your heart than he is with your words. And they prayed to receive Christ, and so we immediately, and, and, and Edgar initiated this. He said, man, we got to go back to the job site and tell everybody. So we, we went up the stairs and got everybody together. We announced it, and then there was this huge applause, um, and we surrounded them with prayer. Then we went to lunch told everybody there, and then the, the main contact for Rebuild South Texas said, man, this, this is amazing. I, I know of a Christian Cambodian that I want to put you in contact with, to, to Pang and Kim. And so we went and worked the rest of the day. We went home. Well, we went to where we were staying at a camp about a half hour away. And we, that night, we were goofing off at the camp and relaxing a little bit. And we get a call from the, the, the Rebuild South Texas guy, and he said, hey, hey, uh, uh, Pang met the guy, that, the Christian guy that you, you referred him to, and, and he showed him the Jesus film, and he saw Jesus getting baptized, and, and Pang and Kim, they want to get baptized, and they don't want to wait till tomorrow morning. So um, that night, we went to this big construction warehouse, and we, so that Shane, he's the, the uh, I guess he has some pastoral experience, he baptized them in this big blue tub that usually you would dip these big like metal objects to clean things up. So it was just like we, he pulled up a forklift to it and brought it and filled it with water. It was very not fancy, but it was probably one of the most powerful things I've ever been a part of. Just to see, you know, not, not by the initiation of me to tell them to be baptized, which I probably could have suggested that, but the Holy Spirit through the Jesus film 
um, prompted them, and they got baptized. We boarded a bus. There's like a hundred of us that went back to the job site at 10 o'clock at night to see them get baptized. So again, it, it was amazing. And Shane, who is there long term, he had said, you know, these two, this is no accident. These two are very influential in this community. I think this is the first of many that will begin to call upon Jesus and follow Christ in this community. So I've sent emails since we got back just asking how they're doing, uh, asking to make sure they're getting discipled and followed up and part of their local church there. But that's just a, a little bit of a taste of, of how God is using crew to reach out to, to the nations here in America. Next, I'm going to have Tony come up and share a little bit about how he's seeing the Lord work in his life. I've never stood up here. This is weird. <laughs> Looking at all of you. And it's two services, so it's packed. Woo! Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited that uh, Pastor Bob and Brandon wanted me to come just share for a little bit. So I'm going to keep it nice and short because of the voice. Um, Brandon asked me to talk about two things. Um, so the first one is just uh, kind of how I heard about Crew, how I got involved with it, and what that was like for me. So yeah, I, uh, I was involved in youth group growing up. Um, for, for two years, uh, junior, senior year in high school, I had a friend from my ho- hometown and she told me when I graduated, like, oh, you're going to IU. My sister went to IU. Um, she actually got involved with this group called Crew. And I was like, what's that? I don't know what any, didn't know that there were college groups. Uh, I thought I just had, would have had to get involved with the church, um, which I did. I've been going to ECC since that first Sunday. But I also went to crew that first Thursday because my friend told me that her sister did crew. So loose connections, and Brandon actually knows her really well. But yeah, so I, I went to crew and uh, walked in, and there was just, it was like 300, 400 people. It was crazy. A lot of people from, I'm from a small hometown, um, like 90 people in my graduating class. And uh, a lot of people from small back hometowns, they come into crew, and they're like, well, this is a lot too much noise, people, I'm like, need to sit back, and I walked in, I'm like, yeah, I started high-fiving people, I like, I'm so excited, I'm like, this is sweet, I like, I'm tired of the small town, I love coming here, and I felt welcomed right away, so that was a little bit of my experience, my RA uh, was my Bible study leader, random roommate ended up being in my Bible study with me, Um, so I was just blessed right away that the Lord just put so many people that were like, God-centered, crew-focused, and like, so yeah, that's how I got to know crew, um, and I've been involved since that first Thursday, and I've gone on mission trips with crew. I went with Brandon to Houston during fall break. Um, conferences, retreats, discipleships, community. Um, talking about community um, and about um, just fellowship, that's one thing crew's really good at. Crew's really good at building community, building lifelong friendships, uh, discipleship. So these are just some of the guys that I've been able to put up there, and two of these guys are actually in this room right now that I've been able to lead Bible studies for them or disciple them. Yeah, so uh, talk a little bit about those two things. The second thing you wanted me to talk about was um, just like a a life-changing story. And honestly, I had a hard time picking some because these are just some of the guys that I've gotten to know really well and gotten to just see, yeah, just to love them and um, point them towards Christ. And and like I said, community is a big one, uh, but also discipleship is huge. Um, Like Brandon was talking about, uh, make disciples of all nations. We as crew are huge about discipleship. We uh, care about getting deeper into the lives of people and the lives of students. So even as upperclassmen and staff members, uh, we get to disciple, basically mentor one-on-one with me, a bunch of these dudes. Um, yeah, I've discipled about six of those guys up there, led Bible studies for a few of them, and 
Some guys are in my class that I've been able to really impact. But yeah, so one story I want to choose, uh, I'm not going to say their name, but he's up there. Um, his life's kind of crazy, and I, I'm just going to be very brief about it, because um, it'd probably take him an hour to explain the whole thing. But yeah, he wasn't in a good place spiritually. He grew up, his father um, was a really strong believer, and he had a good background, um, but he came to school, his old school, and even at the beginning of IU, he was just getting lost in, in, in partying and large amounts of alcohol and drugs and trying to cope with things, with um, getting with girls and stuff. And it was, yeah, it was tough um, to see that. He kind of came to our Bible study a little bit and just he would talk about these things there. And I'm like, I'm really glad you're open about these things, but these are tough stuff. Um, and he kind of just faded away. He kind of just uh, left. Didn't see him for a month or two. And I was like, all right, some people come in and some people fall away. It's kind of how things are, but I was just praying for him, and I was like, man, this guy just seems different. Like, I would love to get to know this guy more and get to know more about his life, and he, uh, I keep looking at his face. I'm sorry, I keep looking over because, yeah, it's just, it's really emotional. Um, he started coming to crew second semester that year, and out of nowhere, we had a, a philanthropy event that we did. Uh, it was called Pack Away Hunger, I think is what it's called. We went to Indy, and we basically packed away um, a bunch of these dry foods and sent them to thousands of people in the Indy area and then also overseas. I think ours went to somewhere in South America, I think. But yeah, so he came to that event, didn't know anybody really there except for me and the other Bible study leader and stayed at our friend's house for the two nights. And yeah, he stayed there. And uh, then he just started coming to things. He started getting involved in Bible study. He started meeting up for discipleships with some of us guys and just got really involved, started going out and sharing his faith for the first time on campus. And then now he's a big leader in his church. He doesn't go to school anymore. Um, but his church back home, he's a big leader. And uh, yeah, just really growing and learning a lot. I talked to him on the phone for about two hours the other night, see if I could put his face up there and tell him his story. But yeah, so that's a, a little bit about what Crew's about, the ways I've been able to see it, and I've been able to see lives change. And yeah, so I actually get the opportunity next year to stay at IU. I just graduated, but I'm interning with Crew. And I've talked to some of you in ACGs, but... Uh, yeah, I get to help continue in these relationships with guys, some of these guys here, and the, all the freshmen that are coming in next year. So I am in the support raising process right now, and I'm actually at 25%, which is, praise the Lord, that I still have two months to raise the other 75%. But yeah, so I'm in that process. So if you just want to hear about what that looks like, or what more of my story, or these guys' stories, I would love to talk to you. I think we're going to be just chilling out there afterwards, talk to people about crew and anything. But yeah, I would love to talk with you and uh, tell you how you can be on my team. So lastly, I get to invite up my friend Nick. He, uh, I got to get to know him a lot more this past year. He's actually going on the same mission trip that I've been on twice with crew that ECC has helped support me on. So welcome up, Nick. One of the cool things about crew is, and one of the opportunities I've been able to receive through crew is being able to like shine the light in like some of the darkest places, whether it's across the world in the United States, and more specifically on the IU campus is the Greek system. And Brandon has been my disciple for about two years now, and it kind of is like a brief history on me a little bit. I'm a member of Delta Upsilon fraternity here at IU. I'm going to be a senior this year. One item that I describe myself, like kind of coming into college, was I was very much like a fan of Christ, but I was never really a follower. And one of the messages that Brandon was talking about earlier was um, turning law students into Christ-centered laborers. And I was one of those law students. I came into IU. I was looking for kind of a place to fit in. I was looking to somewhere to like find my voice. 
a little bit, and one of the re one of the places I was looking to turn to that was the IU Greek system. And what ended up happening was I ended up pledging Delta Upsilon um, spring of my freshman year, and I got caught up in the Greek life. I got caught up in the alcohol. I got caught up with the girls. I got caught up in the whole scheme of everything. But during that time, I was also attending crew because I was very familiar with it. I'm from Fishers. We had a crew in high school. So it was something that was very familiar to me. And it was something that I was a fan of. I wanted to be a part of it, but I wasn't really to go full into it. And so I met with Brandon. I think it was probably the first couple of weeks of coming into IU. I met him. I'd been to Greek crew a couple of times. I was interested in going Greek. And he just kept reaching out to me. He kept wanting to meet up with me. He kept showing me Christ's love just through like brotherhood just beginning to know me and that was something that really stuck out with me and while I was pledging my fraternity it kind of went away I didn't see Brandon for a couple of months and that kind of left a sore spot on me because I that was such like a big part of my life first semester and I really missed that and also kind of looked in myself as I realized there's something missing and it's something that's more than just the Greek life it's something more that can be filled than anything of this world and so when Brandon started discipling me, there was a time where the second semester of my sophomore year where I was in actually in the basement of my fraternity house. And I kept describing to Brandon, I was like, you know, I keep seeing um, here, a lot of my Christian friends have that one moment, that one moment where Christ has touched their hearts and they fully just said yes to the gospel. And I was like, I had never had that moment. And there's so many things that are going on in my heart that I just wanted to say yes, but I didn't have that voice to, that voice I've been looking for for a long time. And Brandon was like, well, you want to read the prayer to say yes, to fully say yes to Jesus Christ? I was like, sure, I'll do that. And um, ever since then, it's been a whirlwind. Um, I went into that summer, and I just had a heart for wanting to just disciple the guys in my fraternity house. Because being in a fraternity house is such a very dark place. You're constantly surrounded by drugs and alcohol and things that are just, will turn a Christian and will make them just drive away if they're not willing to go in there and fight for it. Um, when I came back for my junior year of college, I just had a heart for wanting just to not only invest in the guys in my fraternity house, but just sharing the good news with them. Because I feel like when you're living in a fraternity house, there's so many things. There's not, a lot of guys just don't have outlets for what's really going on in their hearts. Because there's a lot of guys that had either grew up Christian, like went to, in high school, they went to youth group. They went to these things, but when they came to college and they got involved in the fraternity system, they turned away from it. Or they kind of shoved everything down, even though they still had those feelings of wanting to be um, followers of Christ. So when I came into junior year, the one thing I wanted to do was invest in these guys, get to know them, and just pray for them. And I reached out to probably 10 to 15 different guys that were just living in my fraternity house. And that's the cool thing about crew is that they teach about community and just reaching out to your brothers and sisters in Christ. And whether, like for me, that looked like talking to guys in the bathroom, talking to guys in the hallways, or even going to the parties and being there sober and living a Christ-centered life against the grain of the culture of the fraternity system. And just from all that happening, what, able, what came about from that was, was we were able to start up a Bible study in the DU house for the first time ever. And one of the cool things was, I'm also like, when I'm involved in IU, I'm involved, I, I raced for my fraternity in the Little 500, and the guy standing to the right of me in this picture, he was a freshman this year, and he was one of the guys that attended um, Bible study um, on a regular basis and what was such a, just a cool thing that just came from that was there's so many guys that just said I want to know Christ I see how you're living in this house I want to be a part of that and it's like this is such a cool thing I hope I just want to reach out to you I want to pray for you 
I want you just to come, just hear the good news and see what actual true brotherhood in Christ looks like instead of what brotherhood that the Greek system, what society tells you that looks like. And just from that, just being able to see so many guys come, not only getting more involved with the Greek crew, getting involved with missions on campus, but also just gaining true um, accountability, true brothers in Christ that will hold them accountable and just being able to see what Christ's love truly looks like. And for me, that has just been such one of the coolest things, just being a part of, not only the Greek system, being a part of crew, is being able to see how, what true brotherhood looks like, what true, what Christ's love looks like, and what community looks like. And that has just been one of the cool things that I've been able to see, is being involved with crew. And it's one thing that I hope to take into my senior year. And it's honestly one of the reasons that I've been sent this summer to Ocean City, New Jersey through Crew Summer Missions, where I will be there for 10 weeks. I'll be working in the community. I think it looks like I'll be working in a grocery store. And the whole mission of that missions trip is to pretty much bring the message of Christ to not only the families, the college students, everyone that's going to be visiting in Ocean City, because that's a pretty much a big beach town up on the East Coast, but also bringing Christ into the workplace, bringing Christ into the places that his light doesn't shine, is making his name known to everyone else. And luckily, I've had the funds to do that. I'm only $500 short of reaching my $3,800 goal of being able to go on that mission trip, and I leave for that mission trip tomorrow. So it's such a cool thing, and I just can't wait to be able to not only take all the, school, all the skills that I've been able to learn through crew, but take them to the greater community of Ocean City, New Jersey, and then being able to come back and hopefully disciple more guys through crew and through the fraternity system here at IU. Well, on behalf of Crew, um, we just want to say thank you to, to ECC. This church, I've been a member here for years, gone here ever since I got down here from Butler in 2002, and this church has just been such a blessing, such a respite in Christ for me and my family, for the students I get to work with. I'm so proud of these guys. Uh, there's more stories to be told, but next time you're driving past a fraternity on 3rd Street, uh, just extend your hand and pray for it, because God's working there and some of the darkest corners. Also, on behalf of Mark Tyree in Germany, thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your financial support of my family and the Tyree family, and go Hoosiers. Thank you, guys. It's an honor to be a part of that. Uh, you're the extended hands and feet of Jesus through these guys. You can't do it, but they can, and uh, we're glad they're there. So let's pray together. And then we'll conclude with our final hymn. Lord, we thank you uh, for these guys that represented crew um, this morning. We thank you for um, the hundreds of others that are out there on the IU campus, uh, guys and girls who are representing Jesus Christ and being a light to those who don't know you. We pray that uh, as they continue to grow in their faith, you will make them the light of the world, um, that it won't just be a four-year experience, but it will define who they are for the future, and that wherever they go as they're sent out, um, people will see them, and because of that, they will see Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for this gospel message that we have, and we ask as the song uh, that we're about to sing, we ask for more tongues to sing your praise. As Charles Wesley said, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing your praise because we need to proclaim your good news to the world, and we thank you for that opportunity. In Christ's name, 
Amen.